Well, good morning, good morning. Long time no see, right? I just saw you from the piano, and now I'm here. But hey, it is so good to be with you and to study the Word of God together as a church family, to hear the words that bring hope and bring joy and bring peace and bring comfort. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, we've been in this series called Real Prayer uh, for about a month now. For the last four weeks, we've been looking at prayers from those who are in our scriptures and specifically in our Old Testament. If you'll remember four weeks ago, the very first week of November, we looked at Jacob's prayer. And Tracy gave us, gave us a sermon on what it looks like to wrestle with God, to, to just have gut-wrenching prayers as Jacob did in the book of Genesis. And then the week after that, we dug into Solomon's prayer, as found in 1 Kings chapter 3. And Casey really highlighted the fact that Solomon's prayer is a prayer in which we see an example of praise and love of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we saw that in Solomon's prayer. Then we moved to Jehoshaphat's prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we asked this question, which is bigger, your crisis or your God? And praise be to God that God is always bigger than our crisis. Last week, we pulled out Habakkuk's prayer, and we looked at the entire book of Habakkuk. And Casey showed us three grand themes in the book of Habakkuk, and those were a theme of judgment, a prayer of judgment. And then it was followed by a prayer of mercy, and it ended with a prayer of gratitude to God. And I am so thankful that we've had time in the Old Testament, because quite frankly, we often neglect the Old Testament, don't we? We, we often overlook it, but we've spent a month looking at the scriptures and seeing how God has revealed himself and how he interacts with us, his people, through his Old Testament. And I'm really thankful for that. And I'm really excited this week to jump into the New Testament. Specifically, we're going to be studying Stephen's prayer in the book of Acts. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 7. If you want to pull out your Bibles or your phones or anything like that, we're going to be studying Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. And it's going to be a minute until we get there, so no rush on finding that passage because we're going to take a step back and orient ourselves into where we are in the scriptures. What is the book of Acts? Who wrote it? Luke wrote the book of Acts, and you probably know Luke from his other works. The Gospel of Luke, same Luke. And Luke's work in the Gospel of Luke tells the story of Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, from his birth at Christmas— right, which we're preparing to celebrate for now. By the way, I walked into Walmart yesterday, 25 days till Christmas. Big sign in the front that said 25 days till Christmas, and I said, oh no, because I haven't bought my family any gifts, not one. So get on it. Um, anyways, uh, Luke looks at the life and teachings of Jesus from his birth through his preparation for ministry, into his ministry, into his passion. And Luke recounts his death on the cross for the salvation of the sins of man, and his burial, and the waiting period the disciples felt, and his resurrection. And then the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, ends pretty abruptly. I don't know if you've read through that scripture. If you haven't, I really encourage you to do so. But the, the Gospel of Luke ends with the ascension of Jesus, and it just kind of stops. It's not a clean-cut ending. It's not a nice, neat bow of an ending of a story. We're left at a cliffhanger. So Jesus ascended into heaven. Now what? Now what? But don't fret, because we have the book of Acts. It's part two to the Gospel of Luke. 
And if we turn uh, to chapter 1 in Acts, the very first few lines of this scripture teach us what the book of Acts is trying to accomplish. And I'm going to read this for you. In the Gospel of Luke, the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not so many days from now. Okay, and so you're probably thinking about now, how in the world does that summarize what the book of Acts is going to tell us and what it's going to, to accomplish? Well, here it is. We missed a word, most likely, and it's in, in verse 1 of chapter 1, and I'm going to read that again. It's the word began. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, and that was in the Gospel of Luke. You see, so often we think of what Jesus did in the Gospels as the entirety of what he's ever done, and we just live in light of that. But the reality is, what Luke is telling us is that, no, no, that's just the beginning. And in the book of Acts, in the narrative of Acts, I'm going to reveal to you how Jesus continues to work in his people through the power of the Holy Spirit, in and through his people, that is the church, in order that his kingdom might reign on earth. That's what the book of Acts is about. And so we see episode after episode after episode in the book of Acts of how Jesus continues to work by the power of the Holy Spirit through his people in order that his kingdom might reign. Uh, we, we start the book of Acts with the ascension of Jesus, again, where we left off in the book of Luke, and then it goes into details about how Judas dies, the one who betrayed Jesus, and then we have the beautiful miracle that occurred on the day of Pentecost, and the church is born, and then miracles are happening in the name of Jesus, and the good news of Jesus is being preached, and people are being baptized, and people are coming to know the Lord by the hundreds and thousands, and people are being taken care of, and widows are being cared for, and the hungry are going with food, and the poor are being taken in, and good things are happening. And then in chapter 6, we meet a man named Stephen. And Stephen comes into the picture because, well, the church is messy, quite frankly. Uh, little secret, we have problems here at Mount Pulaski Christian Church, and sometimes it feels like we're the only church to have them, but I promise you, we're not. We're not. It took three pages in my Bible, from the birth of the church to the time where we're, we're seeing problems arise. And this specific problem is that uh, there are, there are Greek-speaking uh, Christians, and they have widows that aren't being taken care of in the daily distribution of food. The widows who are speaking Greek aren't being taken care of, and that's a problem. And the church leaders in chapter 6 identify this as a problem, and they say, let's find leaders who are men of God to, to uh, take care of this problem and distribute food to those in need. And so we are introduced to Stephen. He was one of the seven men chosen to take on this task. And we don't know a lot about Stephen, but here's what we do know. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. We know that. That's probably the, the fact that comes to mind first and foremost when we think of Stephen. But, but chapter 6, verse 5 says this. Um, 
And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, right? Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and, and all these other people to do this task. We know that Stephen is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Stephen is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful thing to be rem remembered for. If somebody writes that about me after I am gone, bless them. Chapter 6, verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Like I said, we know little about Stephen, but here's what we do know. We know that he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, that he was a man full of grace and power, and he was doing great wonders and signs among the people, all for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's another episode of Jesus Christ working by the power of the Holy Spirit in his people to bring his kingdom to earth. So Stephen's ministering to these people. And in verse 9, uh, we read this. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogues, those who Stephen is ministering to, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men and said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. So Stephen did nothing wrong. He's teaching the good news of Jesus Christ, and he's seized by those who oppose him, who are the very ones that he's ministering to. And he's brought before a council, and then he tells the story of God. He tells the story of God specifically in the story of Abraham. And Stephen, before the council, tells the story of God with Moses. And then he sums everything up like this, and this is where things start to get really nasty. Stephen says, The prophets have foretold of the one who is coming, and the righteous one has come. To sum it up, you missed him and you murdered him. It was Jesus. And that is where we find Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 60. That's the context of our passage today. And so as we begin to look into this text, let's take a moment to pray, to ask God to bless this time. Jesus, we praise you for your word. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you work in your Holy Scriptures to enlighten us, to teach us, to guide us, correct us, to rebuke us, because, Lord, we know that we need rebuking sometimes, to shape us, to look more like the church that you desire us to be, that of Jesus Christ. We pray blessing over this time. It's in the powerful name of Jesus, the glory of the Father. We pray these things. Amen. And amen. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 60. Remember, Stephen's before the council. He just got them all riled up by telling them that, that he murdered, that uh, they murdered the Messiah, Jesus. And our text says this. Now when they, the council and the crowd, heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Did you catch Stephen's prayer? It was short. It was just a couple lines. I'm going to read just Stephen's prayer again for you. It's this. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Lord, do not hold the sin against them. But in order for us to understand this text a little better, let's walk through the entire passage and point out some of the things that Luke is writing to us. And I want to go in with this premise. Luke is not just recording a narrative, but he is writing in a theological sense. The things that he writes teach us about who God is and who we are as his people. So read that. uh, Listen for, for theological implications of what we read. Verse 54, now when they had heard these things, they were enraged. This is the council, and they ground their teeth at him. They ground their teeth at him. Does that sound familiar? Maybe not, but a couple, uh, a different way of translating this is they gnashed their teeth. Maybe that sounds a little more familiar. It's hellish. It's evil. See, these people weren't just angry for the sake of pride, but they were opposing the very Savior of the world gnashed their teeth. But he, Stephen, was full of the Holy Spirit. I want to pause here for a moment. The Holy Spirit. We don't often talk about the Holy Spirit. We tend to avoid the Holy Spirit. We see things that are done in the name of the Holy Spirit that don't seem like they ought to be done. But let's take a moment to look at the scriptures and look at the promises of who the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit is worth studying. We could do weeks worth of of study on the Holy Spirit, but this will have to suffice for now. First, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. You remember in the Gospel of Matthew what Jesus says? He says, Go for and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a member of the triune God and ought to be feared as such and ought to be respected as such. But the Holy Spirit is a gift. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift dwells within us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you into remembrance of all that I have said and taught you. And the Holy Spirit is our guide. John goes on, Uh, The Gospel of John goes on to say this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so here's what we know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And the Holy Spirit shapes us to look like Jesus by helping us, by teaching us, to helping us remember what Jesus has done and taught us and guiding us into his truths. The Holy Spirit is in Stephen. Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. It's a prime example of the way that God works through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit in order to build his kingdom on earth. And then we move on. Something really strange happens after we read that Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures say that Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
And we could do a whole series on this. We could unpack this for a really long time because, quite frankly, it's wild. But here's what I want us to take away from it today is that in the, in the face of adversity, in the face of people gnashing their teeth at him because of how angry they are, Stephen sees that Jesus Christ is Lord and is present and is in control and is seated at the right hand of the Father and is with him. That Jesus is king through it all. And then we move on. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. I want to take a moment to to explain what stoning looked like in this time. Because it's really easy for us to read right over this passage and not make anything of it. Okay? Stoning was a practice of murdering people. Um, and, and basically what would happen is the people who were being accused were taken outside of the city, as the scriptures say, and they were pushed into a pit, usually at least twice as tall as that person, and boulders were thrown on them until their bones were crushed and their organs collapsed and they bled. And it was gruesome and it was vile and it was just awful, awful, awful. So Stephen is in the midst of being stoned. And then the scriptures tell us this. I remember they, they, uh, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Do you ever ask, well, why does the author include this? I do all the time. The Bible is full of things that I just don't understand. And remember, Luke is writing to us from a theological perspective. He's telling us something by the words that he writes. And so after a little bit of research, I found something really interesting. One of the practices that occurred during stoning was the one who was being accused, the one who was guilty of crimes, were stripped naked. Their robes were taken from them, and they were uh, thrown away as a sign of humility, of dishonor, of shame. But that's not what happens here, is it? Stephen is left with his robes, and the ones who are stoning him are the ones who are without robes. Here's what this tells us. Luke is telling us Stephen is innocent of all crimes. He's not deserving of this. In fact, the ones who are stoning him, the ones who are after Stephen, are the ones who are guilty and uh, are, are in the wrong here. They're in the wrong. And then we hear Stephen's prayer. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against me. Don't miss this. This sounds just like Jesus. This sounds just like Jesus. It sounds like Jesus when he's on the cross. Does it not? I'm going to read for you again what Stephen says. Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And and Jesus on the cross says, Father, uh, uh, into your hands I cast my spirit. It's a reflection, but it's also a deity claim of Jesus. Jesus says, Father, into your hands I cast my spirit. And Stephen says, Jesus, into your hands I cast my spirit because you are God. You are God and you are working. And Stephen says, do not hold this sin against them. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So a couple of implications from this. The first, the most obvious is that when Stephen is wrapped up in the Holy Spirit and the works of what Jesus is doing in and through him, 
in his darkest moment, the prayer that comes from his lips is that of Jesus. He lived a life that is of Jesus. It's incredible. It is incredible. But furthermore, the whole situation kind of sounds like Jesus, does it not? Jesus was telling the good news to the world. He was seized. He was tried for a crime that he did not commit. He was killed. And then he said this prayer to the Lord. And Stephen was telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he was seized by a crowd. He was put on trial before a council. And then he was stoned to death. When we're wrapped up in the works of the Holy Spirit and the ways that Jesus continues to work through the Holy Spirit's power, we begin to look like Jesus. But there's another thing that I just could not get away from. We're taking a little bit of a sidestep here from where we're going with this. But I find it interesting that when Stephen is at his moment of death, when he is looking at people who have done him wrong and he has not done wrong, he has an air of forgiveness, of reconciliation. It's incredible. It's kind of mind-blowing. It's radical, really. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have somebody that you need to forgive. You didn't do anything wrong, but they did. Maybe you need to forgive them. Maybe your prayer needs to be, Lord, forgive them for the sins that they have committed. I'm going to leave that one there for this morning and continue on in our study. So what does this mean? What does this mean? It seems kind of arbitrary, doesn't it? We read of this prayer and we see that Stephen looked a lot like Jesus. So what? The book of Acts moves on. What do we learn from this? What do we see as an example in this? Well, I want to tell you that Stephen's example was not arbitrary. It was not for nothing. For a few reasons. For one, he was the first martyr of many in the church. His death was a catalyst for wild and rapid growth in the church. It was the first of a huge wave of persecution for the church, but the church grew exponentially after Stephen was martyred. His life lived in step with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, built the church, had a part in building the church. Second, did you notice that there was a man named Saul in our story? He is Paul. Saul, the one with whom all the witnesses were putting their garment at his feet, that is Paul, the one who wrote a lot of our New Testament, the one who became one of the most influential Christians of all time. Saul, Paul, witnessed Stephen's death and witnessed the prayer of Stephen. And I promise you that had an effect on his ministry and his life. And I know this because in Acts 22.20, Paul recounts Stephen's death and talks about the regret that he has in participating and watching over this. And if that wasn't enough to convince you that this death was not arbitrary, that this prayer was not arbitrary, here we are in Mount Pulaski in 2019, reading of his prayer, seeing how we might become more like Jesus, and how the world might be shaped to look more like Jesus' kingdom because of Stephen's prayer. It wasn't arbitrary. So what's the point? Stephen is prime example of Jesus' continuing 
work by the power of the Holy Spirit in order that his kingdom might be realized here on earth. It's what we said the whole book of Acts is about. It's what Stephen's story is about. And friends, it doesn't end in the book of Acts. It continues here. Jesus continues to work by the power of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us as his church, as his people, in order that we might bring goodness and restoration and healing to the world in order to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ here in Mount Pulaski, in Logan County, in Illinois, in the United States, in the entire world. We get to be those people. It's a huge call. It's an exciting call. It's a daunting call. But Jesus continues to work by the power of his Holy Spirit through us, his church, in order that his kingdom might be brought to earth. So what do we do with that? We pray. We pray often. We pray intentionally. And we live a life worthy worthy of the calling that we have received. We build one another up. We work with one another to develop each other into the likeness of Christ as his body so that we can provide fertile ground for Jesus to work in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit that his kingdom might be recognized here on earth. Amen and amen. With that, let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. We praise you for your continuing work. We praise you. We praise you for the Holy Spirit that works within us and in our church. We praise you that you are a God who hasn't left us in the dark, but gives us hope of second coming. We praise you for that, Jesus. And we pray that as your people, as your church, we might live into this calling which we have received. We pray that we can truly pray the prayer of, of Paul, and the words of Paul that says, I've been crucified with Christ, just as Stephen could. We love you, and we pray that we pray that we can worship you in a manner worthy of what you deserve. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our King, we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing.